Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So we recited the Decalogue and we heard it in our reading from Exodus. God has rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, brought them on a journey to the promised land and calls Moses to come up the holy mountain so that he can give him his words, so that God can give the words of life to Moses for the people of Israel, for the ordering of their common life, for how to have fullness of life. And so uh, the, the orders are, the commands are, don't let anybody come near to the mountain because God's glory is going to be on the mountain. Only Moses can go up the mountain to receive the stone tablets with the commandments of the Lord. Not, for, not to make the people feel bad about themselves, but to give ways of life that are God's ways for the ordering of their common life. And they've been told, do not come near, or for if you touch the mountain, surely you will die because the glory of the Lord is upon it. So Moses goes up the mountain and is lost in the clouds and the thunder and lightning and, and, and things going on in the mountain. Kind of scary for the people down below, but they've been told to wait. But they don't wait. After a while, they wonder whether or not Moses is ever going to come down from the holy mountain. And so they make a perversion of a god for themselves. For the god on the mountain, Yahweh, is an unsafe god. Um, you know by now I love C.S. Lewis, so I'm going to go back there again. I think the best image of this is, is uh, the four children have come into Narnia and they've met up with the, the land that is always winter and never Christmas and under the thrall of the White Witch. And the children have met up with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who are kind of like the underground Christians of the early centuries. And Mrs. Beaver says to the children, Aslan is on the move. Well, Aslan is the Christ figure and he's a lion. And when Susan, one of the, one of the children, understands that they're talking about a lion, she says, is he safe? And Mrs. Beaver says, oh dearie, no, he's not safe, but he is good. And, and that's our God. We... We worship a God who we can't box in. We can't domesticate. And yet the people at the bottom of the mountain didn't want an unsafe God, even though he was a good God. They wanted a safe God. So they exchanged the true God, the holy God, for a perversion, a God, small g, an idol that they make with their hands and then having made it with their hands, they bow down and worship it. It's much easier to worship a safe God than an unsafe God. It's much easier to worship a God who, is the, who we have devised in our own minds 
than the true God who comes to us out of the pages of his word, out of the pages of scripture. We do that today. The world does it and we do it ourselves, sometimes unknowingly. When we make statements like, I believe that God wants me to do this, or I believe God doesn't want me to do this, notice who is the subject of that statement, I. Now, if we were to say, in God's holy word, he says, there's a difference to my saying, well, I believe God wants me to do this, because what God wants or doesn't want is revealed in his holy word and if we say I think or I believe God wants that is completely untethered from his holy word untethered from his word of scripture to us then we've made ourselves gods with a small g because we figured out what God wants us to do but it's completely untethered from what he actually says we might say something like well I believe that might is right that's a buzz phrase out there isn't it might is right but God's word says it will not be so among you whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant or Frank Sinatra remember his famous words I'll do it my way and invited all of us to do it our way But God says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We might believe that we should just follow our own passions because it feels right to us. But God, through his apostle Paul, says, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And then there's Polonius in Shakespeare's Hamlet, to your own self be true. But Jesus says in Mark's Gospel, for it is from within, from the human heart that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder. But you see, many of God's ways seem foolish to today's liberated men and women. Indeed, Paul says that, doesn't he? He says, God's foolishness, however, is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. For left to our own devices, we would never have imagined God's death on the cross for our salvation. Would that have been our remedy for sin? God's death on a cross for our salvation. And yet that is exactly what we proclaim with Paul. We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, for those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's wisdom comes to us 
through his commandments that he gave to Moses on the holy mountain, through the tablets of stone, his way of life for wholeness in all of our relationships, in all of our dealings, comes to us in the Ten Commandments. Last year, uh, Jim led a teaching on the Ten Commandments by Canon J. John, who has that kind of quirky English sense of humor. Um, They were a lot of fun. He started at the bottom and ended up with number one. But basically, if you get number one right, all of the others fall into place afterwards. And he said this, he said, we've forgotten how to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is God. We've forgotten how to make the main thing the main thing. Is God in the driver's seat of the car of our lives or have we relegated him to the passenger seat? In other words, do we say, I'm going to turn right here, are you on board? Are you coming with me? Or are we going to look at Jesus and say, okay, Jesus says I should turn left here. Will I follow him and turn left? Sometimes we even put him in the back seat and then don't listen to his instructions at all, or even in the trunk so we don't even have to hear him. But is he the main thing? Is the main thing the main thing? Is he in the driver's seat of our lives? Will we listen to him? J. John used the, anacron- the, the, the acronym FIRST the, as an acronym. He used the word FIRST as an acronym to ask the questions about is God first in our lives? Because the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. And we think, well, we haven't, you know, we haven't malted down gold and made a golden calf. But gods, small g, are the things that take up most of our energy, most of our thoughts, most of our time. So he has this challenge to us. Using first. First. Is he first in our finances? J. John says, what we spend our money on reveals what is important to us. Is God first in our finances? F-I. Is he first in our interests? What do we like to think about the most? Talk about the most? Read about the most? For God in his word, through his apostle Paul, says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Is he first in our finances, first in our interests, F-I-R, is he first in our relationships? Because keeping Jesus first in all of our relationships aligns us correctly with each other so if jesus is first then our relationships between our spouses falls perfectly into line if if uh, jesus is first then our relationships with our children our relationships with our parents our relationships with our friends our relationships with our co-workers 
when God is first, everything else falls into line. If we make somebody else first, we get askew. We get out of alignment. Is he first in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationships, first in our S, in our schedule? We get so busy. We're called during Lent to slow down. It's really difficult to do. I I know it's really difficult to do. But is he first? Do we get so busy that we elbow God out of our lives? Uh, J. John's wife's name is Killy. He said, what if in our wedding vows I had turned to Killy and said, I'll be faithful to you on Sundays? The rest of the week, it's up to me. I'll be faithful to you on Sundays. Is God first in our schedules? Or do we relegate him to a Sunday morning only? See, he desires us to be in relationship with him minute by minute, day by day. The morning we wake up, Lord, this is your day. Thank you. Thank you for my life. Thank you for all that you have given me. Be with me this day. Remind me to ask you when I come to a decision uh, what I should be doing with it. Remind me when I get into an argument or angry on the road that you are there. Still my heart. Give me peace. That it's not just on a Sunday. It's minute by minute, second by second. The Lord is there. Do we... Make him first in our schedule. Is he first in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationship, first in our schedules? Is he first in our tea and our troubles? When troubles come, and of course they do, it's the lie of the enemy to tell us that we will have no troubles in this life. Everybody has troubles. Is there anybody among you who has no troubles? Everybody has troubles. Sometimes they come in multiples. And it feels like we're stacking one trouble after another trouble. Everybody has troubles because we live in a fallen world. What do we do with them? Is God first in our troubles? Do we lay our burden down at the foot of the cross Or do we lay it down, talk to him, and then pick it up and walk away with it again? J. John talks about this guy who was hitchhiking, had a big backpack on his back. He had all of his kit in there, so it's one of these huge ones. And he's he's hitchhiking, and a car pulls up and says, Yeah, get in, mate. Put Put your kit in the trunk. He says, No, 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 I have to keep this with me. He says, No, no, you can put it in the trunk of the car. I'll drive you. He says, no, 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 I need to keep it in with me. And he tries to back into the passenger seat with this huge thing. Of course, there's no room for him in the passenger seat and his huge backpack. That's like us. We say to the Lord, will you take our burdens? Will you take our troubles? Can we bring them to you? And then we keep hanging on to them. We keep them on as a backpack and we get weighed down with them. The Lord says, I've got it. Give your troubles to me, leave them with me, and I will take them from you. Is he first in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationships, first in our schedules,
first in our troubles. Jesus puts the commandment this way. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything. You are to love the Lord your God with all of who you are. He asked these two questions at the end of that teaching. J. John, he said, uh, what if God gave us the same amount of time as we give him? What if he withheld his blessings to the extent that we withhold our offerings to him? And then he read this poem. If Jesus came to your home to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home is a joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud, hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Would you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you. Would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family's conversation keep its usual pace and would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd planned to go or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you. When you see those questions that he asked, what is the answer? He asked, what if God gave us the same amount of time as we give him? What if he withheld his blessings to the extent that we withhold our offerings from him? You see, the answer is, of course, he doesn't withhold anything from us. Because he's such a gracious God. He lavishes us with love, unending, unfathomable on and on. His grace never ends. He's a God of infinite grace and mercy and that is not determined by how we are, even when we fail to put him first, even when we fail to make him the main thing. But he does ask of us, to make him first, 
For he says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And in the words of our Saviour, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. So as we dig deeper into this relationship with God this Lenten season, because that's what we do during Lent, Because unless we realize the slavery that we have been under to sin, then Easter morning, his resurrection, his death on the cross on Friday, and his bursting forth from the tomb on Sunday morning mean not that much unless we really dig in and realize that we are released from slavery. So we examine our lives to make sure that we make the main thing the main thing. That we haven't created small g gods in our own image that are safe gods, but that we're still worshipping the unsafe but fully good God. So let's ask ourselves, Every day, is he first in our finances? Is he first in our interests? Is he first in our relationships? Is he first in our schedules? Is he first in our troubles? For he alone, through the folly of the cross, through the foolishness of God, which is the greatest wisdom in the world, has brought us in our own exodus out of slavery to sin, into new and eternal life. And to him is due, as we just sang, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise, all the worship, and all the thanksgiving. Amen.